Well, I once had a boss who uh, hated surprises. Um, He would dream up potential problems and then ask us to work on contingency plans in case that they happened. Now, most of these things that never did happen and never would happen, but he wanted a plan nonetheless. And I'll admit that a few of the things he asked us to work out were wise. We had contingency plans for natural disasters, for dealing with the media, and what to do in case of financial fraud. But some of his worries were more than a little far-fetched. We once spent an entire day developing contingency plans for all the anxiety, all the worry that he had, including scenarios about what we would do if business was too good. We used to chuckle at him, but the truth is is that many of us were also worried, just not about the same things that he was worried about. So what do we do about worry? Well, we wonder if we'll have enough to pay the bills. We worry whether or not we'll contact a debilitating, potentially fatal disease. We worry about how our kids are going to turn out, whether we'll lose our jobs, a global financial meltdown, a terrorist attack, or a worldwide pandemic. And yes, that one did happen. But now, maybe you can uh, think that we're more consumed by worry than people in past generations. Didn't they live more carefree than we do? Now, it's true that modern life is full of a whole bunch of stresses that didn't exist many years ago, but the ancient world, frankly, was even worse. They lived with difficulties that are unimaginable to us. Let me just give a context for thinking about that. In the ancient world, scholars tell us that about 3% of the population were what we would call wealthy. About 17% were what you would call well-off. And the remaining 80%, or four out of five people, lived at or below the poverty line. That's the equivalent of living on about two or three dollars a day. And to add to their anxiety, many in the ancient world believed that their futures were in the hands of fate. Who knew which way the wheel of fortune would spin in their lives? Which may be why the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 were so well remembered and so widely quoted. So I want to read what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and begin with verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add even a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. For that is how God, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not more, much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So Jesus starts by saying, therefore I tell you, do not worry. So does that mean that worry is a sin? Is it wrong to give thought to the future, to prepare for things that might not happen? Well, I don't think so entirely. There is a difference between concern and worry. And we need to be able to distinguish the difference. You see, Jesus isn't naive. He knows that the future is uncertain from our perspective. Our concerns are real. And the anxiety about tomorrow is grounded in fact. So Jesus is not saying you have nothing to fear. 
He isn't telling us to deny reality, to live carefree, happily ever after lives, because nothing can touch us. He knows what we know. He knows that concern about the future isn't wrong. It can even be useful, even if extreme anxiety or worry is not. Now, I will admit that personality can play a role in how we respond to anxious thoughts. Some people are more naturally carefree and unconcerned with the future, sometimes too unconcerned. But others seem more plagued by worry. That makes what Jesus says more of a challenge for some than for others. In fact, researchers suggest that some people naturally have a predisposition toward worry and anxiety, and already some of you are worried that you have that gene. But the truth is, is that all of us, regardless of personal de- personality differences, have concerns about the future. So how do we face the future without the worry that Jesus condemns? First, a couple of caveats, and I've already hinted at this, and one of those is that planning for the future is wise. Even though Jesus mentions that birds don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, doesn't mean that we shouldn't put away a little grain to plan for the future. We must, though, be thoughtful, responsible, and wise. That's why things like life insurance are important. Getting a life insurance policy is not a failure to trust God. It is a way to be prepared. In fact, preparation for the future is responsible. Jesus is not condemning work that we do now to be able to meet our needs in the future. In fact, we should do those things. God has given us abilities that animals do not have. We need to use those skills and knowledge responsibly. So do what you can to earn a living, save and prepare for the future because it's irresponsible to live in dependence upon others when we can work, even if we're underemployed. It's foolish to assume that others will take care of us in the future just because we choose to live irresponsibly in the present. God provides, but we need to cooperate. During college, I worked at a clothing store for about a year. Um, I worked with another guy, also named John, who was about 10 years or so older than me. Uh, He had a family, and uh, he had chosen to live simply and only work 20 hours a week. He could have worked 40, 60 hours, he could have worked more, but he chose to live at a, basically at a subsistence level. His wife was pregnant with their first child, and unfortunately the pregnancy was a difficult one, and so the medical bills began to rack up. I was young and foolish, so I said, man, what are you going to do? And he said, trust God. Now, I was only 18 years old, but I remember thinking to myself, maybe part of trusting God is to work a little harder? So if worry is a sin, where is the line between wise planning and healthy concern and the worry that Jesus is condemning? Perhaps the simplest way to put it is that worry shows that we don't trust God. When worry becomes all-consuming, it's gone too far. The sort of worry that actually becomes a form of functional atheism. We may say we believe in God and that God can take care of us, but we are racked by worry to the point where it looks like we don't. It's a failure to believe in the love and goodness of God. Now, there are two different ways that I think we can show how we believe God can't be trusted. One is obvious, and the other is surprising. The the obvious one is to be a worrywart, and the second, the less obvious one, is to be a workaholic. Now, Jesus starts with worrywarts when he tells his disciples not to worry about where their next meal is coming, and this is where he talks about the birds. He says basically that they don't have the ability to work in the way that we do. They do what they can, but God provides for them. They aren't close to as important as we are, he says, but yet he takes care of them. 
One characteristic of worry warts is that they can become so consumed with worry that they don't even do what they could do to address the very concerns that they have. Some, not all, but some are lazy. Others are so racked by anxiety that they get paralyzed and aren't able to do the simplest thing to address their situation. Workaholics, on the other hand, have the opposite problem. They are so concerned about anxiety for the future that what they do is they get busy. If I just work hard enough, then I'll have enough to take care of whatever needs will come along no matter what. But that's not trusting God. That's putting trust in ourselves. That's why Jesus talks about this metaphor of flowers. He says that they spend absolutely no time on their clothing, yet God provides for them with beauty that we all enjoy. But worldly people, he says, run after these things. That is, they worry, and they use their worry to drive um, working hard and earning lots of money so that they can somehow achieve financial security. By the way, that's an illusion. No amount of money can buy security here on earth. So Jesus says, don't do it. Remember, your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Jesus goes so far as to say people who fall into this workaholic camp have little faith. In fact, he's not completely true there. They do have faith. It's just not faith in God. It's faith in themselves. In other words, they're foolish and lack the the, the confidence in God's provision and care. So again, saving for the future is wise. Building a retirement nest egg is important. But it's disobedient to put your security in what you've set aside because it denies that God can take care of us. On one hand, we shouldn't be so anxious that we fear we have too little or proud that we have acquired so much. Ultimately, we need to trust God with the future. And that's because God promises to take care of us. Your heavenly Father, Jesus says, knows what you need. Now, to be clear here, Jesus is not promising to meet all your wants but he is promising to meet your needs. So we can trust Jesus even when our most deepest and most personal needs are there. And that doesn't just include our physical needs, but spiritual and emotional needs as well. God cares for us. Nothing we can do can make us secure. Therefore, we need to let go of that worry and trust God. In the midst of insecurity, we can place ourselves in God's secure hands no matter what our circumstances. We are not going to be shielded from all difficulties here in this life, but no matter what happens, God will take care of us. I once heard an international aid worker speak. She worked in the country of India, um, working to intervene in justice situations where people were held in slavery. It was dangerous work, and her family had been repeatedly threatened. Someone asked her if that made her anxious, and she said, certainly it does. She said, but I've also learned that God can take care of my husband and my kids better than I can. And that's what God can do for us. Now, here are a few more nuggets of wisdom on worry from Jesus. And the first is that obsessive worry is foolish, unnecessary, and doesn't change anything. Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? One reason why worry is so, um, uh, on some level, is so prevalent is that we assume somehow that worry will help. But it doesn't. Worry doesn't change our future or the circumstances we're in. In fact, much of what we worry about doesn't happen. And to make things worse, researchers tell us that if we become so obsessed with worry, it will even take months, if not years, off our lives. My youngest daughter's in Los Angeles this week, and uh, in a couple of days, she's planning to take a surfing lesson. 
It's a little surprising because when she was a little girl, we would go every other year to visit her grandmother who spends the winters in Florida, and we'd always go to the beach in Fort Myers, and um, she was really nervous as a little girl to go in the water because of sharks, right? So she was absolutely terrified that she would be uh, eaten by a shark. One time we were swimming at Lake Harriet, and she was worried about sharks, and I had to explain that they're saltwater animals, not freshwater animals. Now, that was a long time ago, and she's no longer concerned about sharks, But she's close to a family in the church that she's attending, and their eight-year-old son this week found out that she was going to take a surfing lesson. And he tried to persuade her to cancel it because of, you guessed it, sharks. When Hannah wouldn't budge, he looked her in the eye and he said, well, then don't blame me if you come back missing a body part. (laughs) You know what the odds are of getting attacked by a shark? On average, one American every year is killed in a shark attack. Now, here are a lot of, here's some other, a list of some other things that you're more likely to die from than a shark attack. Trampolines, roller coasters, freestanding kitchen range tip-overs, vending machine tip-overs, riding lawnmowers, fireworks, skydiving accidents, and the most dangerous on that particular list is being crushed by a TV or a piece of furniture. On average, 26 people die every year when a piece of furniture falls over on them. Now, um, the truth is that it's far, you're far more likely to be killed by smoking, poor diet, lack of physical activity, and so the moral of the story is turn off jaws, get off your couch, and go swim in the ocean. Now, it is possible to turn worry into something productive. The psychologist Archhart distinguishes between worry and what he calls purposeful worry. He says worry can serve as an early warning system that motivates us to take action. Then we can remove ourselves from legitimate threats and worry. In fact, he says, without healthy anxiety, we'd be careless or carefree but foolish. Of course, that doesn't take too much, he says, to push us over the line and to allow that worry to become some kind of an anxiety that incapacitates us and serves no useful purpose. So in a perfect world, we would respond only to threats and dangers, and it would only kick in when we need it, when we're about to get hit by a bus or attacked by a shark. But far too often, that early warning system overreacts and goes astray. And rather than help us deal with and identify legitimate threats, it gets attached to things that aren't as serious, and we overreact. Another thing I want to mention here, even though it's not mentioned by Jesus in the text, it's mentioned in other things that he talks about, and so I think it's important to mention, and that is that we need to do our part to care for others and to care for their needs. Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, give us this day our daily bread. And I think part of the implication there is to look around and see the daily bread needs of others and do what we can to meet those needs. There's no question that Jesus is not giving us a free pass. If we can work, we're responsible to do what we can to meet our needs and the needs of our families. But what about people who can't work, those with disabilities or those who lack skills that are necessary in this increasingly high-tech world, those who face injustice or the unemployed? We live in a world that favors people with certain job skills. And some people, frankly, are lucky and others are not. So will God take care of them? It's clear from the rest of the teachings of Jesus that when we see someone in need, Jesus tells us to see them, to really see them, and then ask how we can meet their needs. So we need to take seriously our responsibility to meet our own needs, but we also need to live in mutual interdependence looking for ways that we can meet the needs of those who are in the moment less fortunate than we are. 
Those who are involved in humanitarian work around the world tell us that one of the most basic causes of, of uh, hunger in the world is not a lack of food, but the fact that it's unequally distributed. So where there are needs, we should do what we can to meet those needs. And if not, we will be judged accordingly. Now, one of the unfortunate side effects of worry is that it steals the joy that we might be experiencing in the present because we're so focused on the concerns of the future. And that's where Jesus tells us again to stop worrying. The key to the life that Jesus describes here is to learn to live by faith, not fear, to trust and not worry. Now, let me just say, I realize that faith is not easy. So what I'm saying is not, not just simple to do. It's not an emotion that we can turn on. God asks us to trust Him no matter how we feel or how certain we are that things will work out. It might be helpful for you to know that the word faith in the Bible, in the New Testament, doesn't suggest that we won't have doubts. It implies nothing about feelings. It's a word that asks us to obey. So Jesus is asking us to trust God and to show that trust by obeying Him. Taking action is powerful, and so when we step out in faith, we're saying that we trust God more than our fears. Now, if I stopped here, the only lesson you'd take away from today is to stop worrying, but that's really only half Jesus' message. At the very end of this text, he has something else to say. In verses 33 and 34, Jesus says this, "'Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well.'" Therefore, do not worry about today, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So what's important here is that the only way to be free of worry and the trap of overwork is to be more consumed with God's kingdom and his righteousness. So our lives need to be not consumed by fear or greed. Instead, we should be driven by a concern for God's kingdom and righteousness, to share Jesus with others and to live righteous lives and do what we can to see that justice is done everywhere. One of the benefits of living this way, of focusing on God's kingdom, is that everything else fades away. Greed and worry no longer control our hearts. Then whatever we have will be enough. And that's what Jesus means when he says, all these things will be given to you as well. Is this realistic? Can we really trust God with the very real anxieties that we have in the future? I think the answer is yes. Just imagine that instead of being consumed by worry about the future, we learn to be fully present in the moment. That when worry grips us, we often miss what God wants to do to bless us here and now. Our focus should not be primarily on what has not yet happened or what may happen tomorrow or sometime in the future. Instead, it should be on seeking God first and trusting Him with tomorrow. There's a story told about a good woman who was well known for her simple faith in the midst of many difficulties that she had faced in her life. And one day, another woman went to see her. She wanted to learn the secret of her remarkable life. So when she arrived, she said, are you the woman with the great faith? And the woman chuckled and said, no, I'm not the woman with the great faith but I am the woman with a little bit of faith in a great God. A number of years ago, in the early years of City Church, I was having a conversation with a friend named Joanne, and we were talking about um, something that I was actually really anxious about, really kind of consumed with, and that is, in the early years of the church, I would find out about needs that people had in the church, things that they were struggling with. 
And I would sort of take those on myself. I'd try to find solutions. All of that was good, but what was happening is it was playing over and over in my mind. And she said, John, have you ever thought about the fact that that maybe has sort of strayed over into this kind of anxiety and worry that's not healthy? And I said, well, what in the world would I do about it? I mean, these people have all these needs. And she suggested something. Um, and I don't necessarily do this exactly the way that she described, but it's been very helpful to me. She said, at the end of your workday, as you're packing up and shutting down your computer, she said, just sit in your chair and hold out your hands and say to God, these people, and name them, she said, really need your help. I'm placing them in your hands, and now I'm going home. Now, I've taken her principle and taken that even further. And when I'm anxious or concerned or worried, I do exactly that. I say, God, this is your concern. I'm going to trust you with it, and I'm going to go on. I don't know if that'll be helpful to you, but it's been helpful to me to be able to distinguish that when I start to cross the line, I can really and truly give these things to God. Would you pray with me? Father, we bring you our worries, and we have much on our minds. Help us to discern what action we may need to take to plan for and prepare for the future. But even more, help us to place our trust in you, not to worry or overwork. Help us to trust that you will, as you promised, take care of us. May we also pay attention to those around us who have needs. Let us be part of providing for them. And may we live by faith, not fear, trust, not worry. And may we first seek your kingdom and righteousness above all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.